female folk singer is dead after she was attacked by a pair of coyotes. What is the monkey doing? Tell me what's going on. He ripped her face off! We actually have a trainer in the water with one of our whales. If I show weakness, if I retreat, I may be hurt, I may be killed. Baby Azaria Chamberlain was taken by a dingo back in 1980. Tell me something, girl. Are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? Uh, um, <laughs> in the shallows, <laughs> in the shallow, shallow, lows. In the shallow, we're far from the shallow now. Uh, uh. Okay, um, I think we're all sufficiently unaroused now so we can do the podcast. Um, yeah, good. <laughs> oh. That's, I think I'm going to regret putting that to, to audio. Welcome back, everybody, to Man It Is, the only true crime podcast on the entire fucking internet, where all the killers are real animals, whether it's biting, scratching, smallings, or clawings, we're here to talk about it, and today we're back with another edition of Man Eater Movies, of course, the sub-show where we watch creature features, uh, Man Eater Movies, and we talk about them, and we dissect them, much like those animals dissect their little human victims, and today, uh, you might have guessed from the awful, awful rendition of Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper's, uh, Shallow, um, we're talking about The Shallows today, a movie that's been requested not once, not twice, not three times, but twice by people who voted on the, the poll on the Instagram of what man in a movie we should watch next. Um, the Shallows was one of the most popular ones that came up, so we're going to do it finally. I watched The Shallows last week with my fiance. Ah, that's nice, isn't it? And uh, I got to tell you, a little spoiler alert for the whole episode. I kind of liked it. So let's, uh, without further ado, without further aplomb, um, let's get into our, you know, my thoughts on The Shallows. So, The Shallows, it's a 2016 American survival horror film directed by a person by the name of Jean Colette Serra. Uh, it was written by Anthony Jaswinski and it starred Blake Lively. Uh, she's really the only star in this movie because it's basically just her and a shark the whole time. Uh, in this film, uh, Blake Lively plays a medical student uh, who goes surfing on a vacation and gets attacked by a great white shark and is stranded far from the shore and she has to survive against the odds, against uh, the, the elements and against this big old cranky shark. So um, today we'll talk about the plot. We'll talk about my thoughts on the movie, uh, how it sort of ranks up realistically, you know, compared to how a real shark attack would happen. Um, and yeah, and we'll just sort of get the general gist of, of what we thought this movie was. Uh, but first, let's start with the plot. So, spoiler alert, I will be going through the entire plot here. So if you haven't seen the movie and you would like to, maybe... I don't know, go listen to a different episode. Go different, listen to a different podcast. I hear I hear Joe Rogan's doing quite well. You can listen to him. So here's the plot. Um, so Blake Lively, uh, short, her mother, her character's mother, um, dies. Her name's Nancy, by the way. Blake Lively's character's name is Nancy, not the mother. Her name is Nancy. So after the death of her mum due to cancer, um, Nancy travels to Mexico to go to the same beach that her mother visited while she was pregnant with her. Uh, a friendly local resident named Carlos uh, gives Nancy a fancy ride. <laughs> I just read Nancy a fancy ride. No, it's just a normal ride. She gives Nancy a ride, um, drops her off at the beach, uh, and one of her friends who was supposed to come along is um, staying back at the hotel puking because she drank too much the night before. Uh, Nancy joins two other locals in the water and the three of them surf for several hours um eventually she takes a break from the surfing nancy video chats with her young sister chloe while she talks uh when she talks to her father uh, in an emotional and strained conversation it is revealed that nancy is a senior student at medical school but her mother's death recently caused her to reconsider dropping out of school before her graduation 
So she goes back into the water, and while she's surfing for the last time of the day, after the two other uh, surfers have gone home, Nancy notices the carcass of a young humpback whale nearby. As she rides the last wave back to the beach, a large seven-meter great white shark knocks her off the surfboard and badly bites her leg. Nancy climbs onto the whale carcass, but the shark rams it from underneath, forcing her to swim to an isolated rock. She uses a surfboard leash to stow the bleeding from her leg. Later, she uses a piece of jewelry to use a, to put rudimentary stitches in place to hold her torn flesh together. She also cuts her um, what she she cuts her uh, what do you call it the wetsuit the arm from her wetsuit and uses it as a big uh, bandage for her leg as well. Nancy's left uh, alone overnight. Um, and when the unaware locals leave the beach, she spends the night on the rock with a wounded seagull who was also injured by the shark. I didn't actually clock that while I was watching it. Uh, there was just a seagull there, and I assumed that's what had happened. But yeah, if I, if you go and rewatch it during the shark attack scene, um, just keep an eye out for a seagull. Named cutely, by the way, Steven Seagull. Get it? Uh, she names him Steven Seagull. The next morning, uh, a drunk local man uh, wakes up on the beach and sees Nancy calling out and waving to him. And you think for a moment, oh, he's going to help her. Uh, no, but no, this is like, uh, this reminded me of the um, that, that South Park bit with like the, the stereotypical sleepy Mexican. He just, yeah, that's kind of what he was going for. Uh, he, uh, he, he, you know, he steals all of Nancy's belongings, including her phone, uh, and then he sees the surfboard in the, in the water, and he decides, oh, I'm going to steal that too, even though I have a, a fucking cell phone in my pocket. Um, so he walks out to the water to steal Nancy's surfboard. However, he's killed by the shark. We see this off screen. Uh, it cuts away. We don't see it. We see uh, Nancy's reaction to it, which is quite effective. There's two ways to do it. You could either be very gory with it um or you can just watch the reaction and you imagine what happens but we do see that it uh kills the man and we also see that it actually uh what, what do you it cuts him in half basically his legs are separated from his torso and he dies uh on the beach so several hours later the two locals who had surfed with nancy the day before they return and somehow they don't see the torn in half mexican man on the beach uh, and they go back into the water nancy sees them she wakes up she sees them and she begs them not to come. She's trying to yell them to go away, but there's a language barrier. She doesn't speak Mexican. <laughs> Sorry. She doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> I don't know why that sounds so funny. Um, they get into the water uh, and they are also killed by the shark, both of them. Now, one of the, the surfers who is killed by the shark, the one who survives the longest and actually makes it back to the rock almost, and um, Nancy almost helps him get on the rock, he was wearing a GoPro camera on his helmet. When he's attacked by the shark, the helmet gets knocked off and it floats uh, around the surface of the water. So Nancy sees the helmet floating in the water and she realizes if she gets it, she might be able to record a, a message for help and throw it to shore. Um, if nothing else, she can record a final message to her family. So she realizes she has to swim in the water to get to it, and the shark is still in the water circling, as she can see it. So after some struggle, she is able to uh, recover the, the, the helmet and get back to the, to the rock. Um, uh, so she gets the helmet after some struggle, and uh, she retrieves it. She records her message, but she also looks at the footage, and she realizes that during the footage of the attack on the on the sofa, she can see that the shark has a large hook stuck in its mouth, possibly after an encounter with another human, potentially like a fisherman. Nancy uses the GoPro to leave messages for her sister and her dad, as well as information about the shark attack and her location. Nancy realizes that high tide is approaching and understands that the rock will be submerged soon. And once it is, both her and Steven Seagull are going to be uh, shark food, basically. So she puts Steven Seagull on a piece of broken surfboard and shoves him and, and pushes him towards the shore. And I really thought that the gull was going to die here. Um, then she watches the shark and she times with her watch the, the, the amount of time it takes for the shark to circle from the whale carcass back to the rock. And she figures out that that must be its top speed. Now, that's something I have a bit of an issue with, but um, we'll talk about that later. After feeling sufficiently um, confident that um, she understands the speed of the shark, she swims to a nearby bu buoy, um, narrowly avoiding the shark by swimming through a group of jellyfish, which sting both the shark and her. Um, earlier in the movie, when she's swimming with the two local uh, surfers, 
they mentioned, she asked, what are the dangers out here? And one of them mentions, oh, there's a really nasty rock out there, which I think is the rock that uh, she sleeps on. And they also mentioned, oh, there's some, I think it was fire coral, which will sting like a jellyfish. And when she goes to swim and get the, uh, the, the GoPro, the shark actually, I think she touches it and the shark also touches the fire coral and she notices that it causes the shark pain. Um, and so she realizes, oh, like uh, the shark is susceptible to jellyfish stings just like I am. So when she swims to the buoy, she, she avoids the shark by swimming through a school of jellyfish, um, which sting the shark and stop it from attacking her essentially. But they also sting her very badly. And another thing that I like find very interesting, she's, she recovers from that so quickly. Even though if you look at photos or you watch the movie, like you can see how badly the jellyfish stings her arm. I, I, I think you would be unconscious or in shock by that point. But yeah, um, when she's on the buoy, buoy, do you, okay, question. In Australia, I've always thought it was called a buoy. Like you get on the buoy, um, but apparently it, it's buoy in America. Buoy, like buoy knife, Bowie knife. I don't know. Uh, I'll call it a buoy because I don't want to get in trouble. Um, on the buoy, Nancy finds a locked. Um, what do you call it? A locked case with a flare gun inside. Oh, and also, sorry. <laughs> earlier on, um, I can't remember how she gets it, but somehow she gets a shark tooth from the shark when she's being attacked. Um, I can't. I can't remember how that happens, but uh, she has it, and she uses that shark tooth to open the the rusted on, uh, open the rusted on lock on the case. She finds a flare gun, and she sees that there's a cargo ship in the distance. So she shoots one flare to uh, you know draw her attention of the of the ship, but she shoots it the wrong way, and it fucking doesn't go high enough in the air. She shoots a second flare. This one goes up in the air, but it's a bit of a dud. It just falls back down straight away. My understanding is flares are supposed to stay up for a while and slowly come down so that you can have a fair amount of time to find them in the sky. Um, she realizes she has a few more rounds of the flare gun, but she's not going to use them yet. Um, so the shark starts to charge at her. She fires another flare at the shark, which causes the water to catch on fire. And I, at first I wasn't sure what it was, but um, my partner was like, oh, it's the oil. It's like the fat in the water from the whale carcass right behind it. And that's actually, I thought that was really cool. So she shoots that, it lights the oil from the whale on fire and lights the shark on fire as well. And I was like, oh, wow, that's that's a really cool way to end it. All the shark does is go underwater and extinguishes itself, which actually is what would happen. So yeah, it doesn't really do anything except piss the shark off. It has no other effect. So at that point, the shark is pissed off. And this is a very determined shark, by the way. Uh, the shark ferociously attacks the buoy. It rips the chains off that are securing the buoy to the ocean floor. Nancy's like a whole, she's trying to stay in this thing like a cage, but it is just getting ripped apart piece to piece to piece. She straps herself to the last remaining chain and as it is ripped off from the buoy and she's pulled down to the ocean floor, pursued closely by the shark. This is a very action-packed moment. At the last moment, Nancy pulls out of the dive and the shark is impaled on the rebar protruding from the boy's anchor on the ocean floor, and the shark is killed. Now, later on, a boy named Miguel, who we actually see at the beginning of the movie, he actually opens the film, finds the GoPro and informs his father, who is then revealed to be Carlos, because apparently there's only six people on this Mexican beach. Uh, Carlos finds Nancy floating close to shore and revives her. Nancy briefly sees a hallucination of her mother. As she looks around the beach, she sees that Steven Seagull has made it to the shore. Hooray! One year later, a healed Nancy, now graduated as an official doctor, and her sister Chloe, go surfing in Galveston, Texas, as their father tells Nancy that her mother would have been very proud of her for not giving up. And that's the end of the movie. So, plot-wise, um, it's, uh, it's, I, I really like this film. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's so, what, what's it check off? It's a creature comfort film. It's creature, com creature feature. Okay. It's a man in a movie. Um, it's a, it's a movie with one person really. Like there's only really one actor that we follow through the whole thing, which is Blake Lively. Blake Lively does a really, really good job here. Like a fantastic job. So where, where are the drawbacks? Well, we start the movie off as every good man eater movie starts off with a Mexican in a car. Uh, and we have quite a long, almost drawn out scene with between Carlos and Nancy driving in the Jeep to the beach. And when that was happening, I was like, Oh, okay. Like I see they, the filmmakers understand like, Oh, there's only so much we can do with Blake Lively on a rock as, as pretty as she is 
in that bikini. Uh, there's only so much we can do with her on the rock. We need to fill this movie up with something else. So there, there, there are quite a few scenes that are not part of the shark attack sequences that, that, that do feel a little drawn out, including the first scene in the car, just, just a tad. Um, but it, do, you know, but it, it does give you a lot of um, insight into Nancy's character, and um, it leaves a lot unsaid as well that we will discover later. You also get to meet Carlos, who is a pretty cool character, um, but he doesn't have much to do in the film apart from drop her off and and pick her up after um, she gets attacked by a shark. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the production of this film. Uh, I, I was pleased to understand and pleased to know it was actually filmed in Australia in 2015 in New South Wales and Queensland. They had initially wanted to film in, in Texas, I believe, um, but they didn't get the tax credits or something like that or it was going to cost too much money. Um, so they, they shifted production to Australia, which I'm sure they all they all loved. Now, Initially, uh, uh, Louis uh, Leterrier, I don't know him, he's French, he was going to direct, uh, but he dropped out in June 2015, leading to Jean Colette Serra, who was a Spanish-American uh, film director. He was considered for the job. He viewed the movie as one about survival and noted that it isn't a creature movie, which I would disagree. It, it is a creature movie. Likewise, from the beginning, uh, the director decided not to play emphasis on gore, which is true. Uh, there was a lot of opportunity for um for gore uh you could have a lot more of what you did what we did have by the way i will say like the the bite on her leg uh the doing the stitches that was very well done it looked very real and i was like jesus this lady's gonna die of blood loss soon it looked very very realistic really good um but yeah they don't they don't do a lot of gore in fact um for a lot of the actual shark attack scenes, we don't see the shark. Uh, we, they do this interesting effect where, like, when the local surfers are attacked, they um, we, we get, a, like, a point of view perspective from Blake Lively on the rock, and they, they're sort of in the water, and then they bob beneath a wave, and then the wave goes down, and they're not there anymore. And you're like, oh, what's happened? They're, they're just gone. Same thing happens with the, uh, with the, the sleepy Mexican on the beach. He, um, you know, he wanders into the water, and we... We don't see, I think we see him get taken under and then we see Blake Lively's reactions and then we just find the dead body. The, the most gory thing in the movie is you see the the, um, the drunk Mexican's legs and body separated before he dies. So that's that, that was pretty gross. So Blake Lively joined the cast in August of 2015 and apparently she was partially inspired to do this film by her husband, Ryan Reynolds, because he had just done a similarly min minimalistic movie called Buried, uh, which I believe is one where he's just like buried in a coffin and uh, has, has to get out somehow, which I really want to watch. It sounds good. She said uh, that that was one of the reasons why I wanted to take on this movie so much, because I know how tough that was for him and how rewarding it was. Isn't that sweet? Aren't they, a, aren't they just couple goals, guys? Now, for the Seagull character of Steven, Steven Seagal, uh, they considered using both CGI and puppets uh, to, to film them based on the belief that it would be inordinarily difficult and hard to train a Seagull to act. This quote-unquote horrified both producers Maddie Lasham and Lynn Harris who wanted to work with an actual animal. While scouting for the location in Australia, Blake Lively was able to feed a group of seagulls, at which point it was realized it would be possible to use them for the production. Uh, <laughs> yes, so... <laughs> I don't know if seagulls are the same across the world, but in Australia, seagulls are very susceptible to a hot ship. Uh, it's, it's a common thing in Australia that if you're at a crowded place like a beach or, you know, um, you know on the shore or anywhere like that, um, you don't feed the seagulls because if you do, they fucking swarm and they are, they are bold, man. They'll go up to you. They want the chips. And if you're the one that does it, they swarm everyone and everyone's picnic is ruined. So don't be the cunt who feeds them a, a hot chippy, okay? It's fine. But, you know, if you're leaving, throw a hot chip and ruin everyone else's stay and you're gone. But, like, don't do it while you're still there. Um, so, anyway, initially the script featured Blake Lively talking to the seagull much, much more. And likewise, scenes featuring such an interaction were shot. However, at the end, the director decided on a, on a less is more approach, noting that we didn't want her to be like Snow White talking to the animals. When you see her predicament, you get it. You don't need her to explain everything to a seagull. <laughs> that's a really good, um, yeah, that's, that's clever. Um, and appreciate it. One technique that they did use, because she is on the rock, you do have to explain some things. You can't just have it have no dialogue. Or I guess you could have it have no dialogue. That would be also kind of cool. Um, 
they, they had her talking to herself. So when she's stitching herself up, uh, she because she, we know she's a medical student, she talks to herself as if she's the patient. So she, yeah, basically she, yeah, she reassures herself. She talks in a calming manner. She has great bedside manner. That's basically what she does. Um, and it's great. Yeah, I thought that was a really useful technique so that we can actually have some exposition. She can talk. She has some lines, but she's not just talking to herself. She's not just talking to a seagull. She's actually, it actually makes sense with what her character is. Very, very clever. So principal photography of this movie began on October 28th, 2015 in New South Wales. Filming also took place at Lord Howe Island, Mount Tambourine in Queensland, and Village Roadshow Studios. It originally was going to be filmed on the Gulf Coast of the United States near Galveston, Texas, but the filmmakers were denied a film permit for safety reasons. There you go. Filming wrapped on January 16, 2016. So not a, not a super long shoot, only a couple months there. Much of the film was shot in a tank using blue screen for effects. Still, Colette Sarah wanted to avoid a more stylized look of similar films using the setup and estimated that about 10% of the film was shot on actual location in order to trick the audience into believing the setting was real. And I believe that. I, I thought the whole thing was filmed in the ocean, actually. Uh, the director explains... Every scene has one shot that is real and the other 99% that is not, but the one shot tricks you. The shark was made entirely through computer-generated imagery, which was only completed close to the start of the marketing campaign for the film. Uh, now, uh, some publications noted that the use of CGI was unusual for Colette Sarah, as he typically used practical effects as opposed to the digital ones required for the shoot. Kelly Richardson was the lead stunt double in all of the action scenes in the film, and Isabella Nichols was the lead surf double. Lively ended up performing a few of her own stunts, including a shot where her character breaks her nose. In reality, Lively did hurt herself in that scene, and the blood on her nose was actually real. Wow, there you go. Um, the Shallows was originally supposed to be released on June 29th, 2016, but to avoid the purge election year and their second week... Uh, sorry... And their second weekend being on the 4th of July holiday, the film was instead released on July, oh, sorry, on Friday, June 24th, 2016. So it made $55.1 million in North America and $64 million in other territories for a worldwide total of $119.1 million against a budget of $25 million. So that makes it a very successful box office movie. Uh, it opened alongside Independence Day Resurgence and Free State of Jones uh, and was projected to only gross around $7 million, um, with some estimates going as high as 11 to $12 million. The film grossed $1.3 million from Thursday night previews. Uh, it finished behind Finding Dory at the box office. Uh, it also finished behind Independence Day Resurgence and Central Intelligence. Uh, but the film did really well. It nearly doubled the expectations of the studio, uh, with the studio executive saying we had the best-reviewed new movie of the weekend and combined with a great audience response who saw a fantastic result, people wanted to watch a film with quality that was original this summer landscape. And I'll say that, yeah, of all those films that have released that... Um, with the exception of Finding Dory, uh, I'd say probably is the best movie that was released in that time period. Uh, it received a pretty good, you know, response from critics. Uh, generally favorable is what they said. Lively's performance being the most praised element of the film. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 78% based off 220 reviews uh, with an average rating of about 6.5 out of 10. The website's critical consensus reads, reads, Lean and solidly crafted, The Shallows transcends the tired shark attack tropes with nasty thrills and a powerful lead performance from Blake Lively. Metacritic, the film has a 59 out of 10, 100, sorry, based on 35 critics, uh, which means it's mixed or an average review. Audiences polled on CinemaScore gave the film a a grade of a B plus on an A plus to F scale. So that's basically all the information I think that's important about the movie. Um, it wasn't nominated for any major awards. It was nominated for a Golden Tomato Award for Best Thriller. It came fifth place. Uh, it was also nominated for the People's Choice Awards for Best Thriller Movie, the Saturn Awards, Best Thriller Film, and Teen Choice Awards, uh, Choice Summer Movie Star Female for Blake Lively. But it didn't do anything at other more prestigious um, awards shows. So let's talk about a bit of trivia. My favorite part of these episodes, let's talk some trivia about The Shallows. So according to IMDb's trivia page, Blake Lively was actually pregnant with her second child during filming. She must have been very early on because she was in a bikini for a lot of that movie and you would have no idea unless they CGI'd the baby out. But I think that's technically a, an abortion. <laughs> oh, bad joke. Okay, never mind. Take Just don't, 
just don't listen. That was terrible. Um, so like I said before, uh, Australian surfer, 19-year-old Isabel Nichols. She was the surf double. Blake Lively only had a stunt double for the surfing scenes as she couldn't surf professionally. All I did was paddle, she recalled. Her surfing stunt double was professional Australian surfer, 19-year-old Isabel Nichols. She taught Blake how to paddle correctly, how to wax a surfboard and how to put a leg rope on and fins in to make it look more authentic. Um, I thought... Blake Lively was was the person. Except there is one shot where I like was watching. I'm like, I don't think that's Blake Lively's face. That doesn't look like Blake Lively's face. Um, yeah. Steven Seagull's name in real life is Sully. He lives to this day in a seagull sanctuary in Australia. Two extra seagulls were used to portray Steven Seagull. According to producer Maddie Lashem, she added, they were all good, but not nearly as good as him. Peggy was the vocal one, the very squawky bird. <laughs> Gavita, which means seagull in Spanish, I think he's almost 30, as Steven is estimated to be about 15 to 20 years old. The most challenging thing about Sully as an actor is other seagulls are remarkably clean. They self-clean a lot, so the blood on Sully, obviously fake blood, he kept wanting to clean off, so he had to deal with that. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, the director teamed up with an art department for the design of the shark. The director said, I came to the conclusion that the shark had to be a female, said the director. Females are slightly bigger and have great scars from mating. Visually, they're scarier and they are more protective. Creating the shark generally took thousands of sorry took thousands of hours of research. So the film team watched every Shark Week episode to get an idea of creating the shark. He added further, "She's a female shark, so we know exactly how much she weighs. Every scar that she has has a story behind it. It's an incredible job of artistry and research." Um, during the sh during the movie, uh, Nancy wakes up with a bunch of crabs on her, and she kills a crab and eats one. Uh, the crab that Nancy crushes while on her rock is CGI, although the crushed crab that she attempts to eat is actually real. Blake Lively's reaction of disgust are genuine, as director uh, Jean Colette Serra states, We're not allowed to harm any animals, so there were no live crabs, but we did send our art department out in the mornings to go find crabs that had died naturally on the beaches, so there's a couple of those in there. Pretty gross. Uh, I already mentioned that Blake Lively was inspired by her husband Ryan Reynolds' work in a movie called Buried. Uh, I won't say that again. Um, Blake Lively revealed in an interview that she's terrified of sharks in real life and that she's never seen Jaws. There you go. Uh, the Dying Whale was a mix of CGI and a styrofoam prop. Now, by the way, uh, one issue I have is that Blake Lively is supposed to be this very experienced surfer. Um but any look, any even even a basically intelligent surfer would realize if you see a dead whale in the water, get the fuck away from it as soon as you can because like sharks are gonna be there. It's like almost guaranteed a shark will be there feasting on that on that whale. Multiple sharks. It's like a feeding frenzy. If you saw that, you would get out of the water. Um, Blake Lovely's character sort of swims towards it and has a look and goes uh oh and goes back by that. But that point is it's too late. Um, now, the initial script featured Blake Lively. Oh, I mentioned that. Never mind. That's about the, the seagull. Um, oh, this is interesting. The film crew had to ride bikes to set every morning. Producer Maddie Lachem added, We weren't allowed to have too many vehicles on the island, so essentially everyone had to ride their bikes to set every morning. And because we needed all the daylight we could shoot, we were riding in the dark. And in order to get as close to the set, we had to drop our bikes off and walk to the beach because there is a mutton bird population and it's an endangered species and about 20,000 of them were nesting exactly at the time we were shooting the movie. And they're incredibly fast, fast in the wind, but when they were on the ground, they were like drunken ducks. So if you're riding a bike, you could easily run them over. We were warned under no circumstances could we hurt a single mutton bird and we didn't. <laughs> That's so interesting. I don't know. I've never heard of a mutton bird before. It sounds delicious. Um, what else? There's a lot of this stuff I've already done. Um, Blake Lively said in an interview during Principal Photography about doing her own stunts, there wasn't a single scene that wasn't stunt heavy. Doing the underwater sequences, I'm four and a half feet in the waves. She shared describing her toughest days on set. Whether I was in the tank or in the ocean, I was about 300 yards from the shore. They would drop me off on this rock that was like three feet by three feet. You're in the wild. You're in the land of the big, incredible, majestic wild creature that you're wearing a wetsuit and you're dressed as a seal. Uh, Blake Lively's hairstylist, Rod Ortega, had to get into the tank to do Blake Lively's hair. She recalls, He basically spent 30 days in the tank with me in the water. The entire time he was doing my hair from the water, he was like a fish. 
The original title of the movie was called In the Deep, but it was renamed The Shallows, and I think that's a really good choice. The sheer size of the shark made a great difference to the animators. Scott E. Anderson told the animators to think of the shark as a great big diesel truck with lots of power and torque versus a high-revving German-engineered car. Anderson continues, It's big and sleek with a graceful, powerful way of swimming. We use that mass when she's attacking the buoy or hitting anything else. She's got a huge, heavy size to her. Now, due to the unexpected box office success, whether a follow-up sequel was possible, film director Jean-Colette Serra said in an interview that he doesn't believe in sequels and he can only do original works. Apparently, this is an ironic statement considering he got his start in directing by doing a remake of The House of Wax and a sequel to Goal 2, Living the Dream. Um, Blake Lively revealed in an interview during Principal Photography, the most difficult part about this movie was having to wear a vest to make the location look more tropical, uh, but it was really freezing. I wasn't complaining because the waves were pumping. This actually marked uh, Blake Lively's second starring role, not including co-starring Billings. Uh, the Age of Adeline in 2015 was her first starring role in a film. The movie was filmed in 47 days with principal photography from October 28th to December 13th, 2015. For Blake Lively surfing, some digital effects were used to take on, take on the waves. The production company utilized face replacement technology orchestrated by Lola VFX, famous for its face replacement work on the social network and Captain America the Winter Soldier. Anderson stated, They have their own proprietary methodology for doing face work, but they realized pretty quickly that surfing shots are full on with their own challenges. They started to scan Blake and then got performances of her with their rigs and setup, and they had to transfer that 3D version of Blake's face that is tracked, reanimated, and replace the stunt double's face. The digital shark was mostly done by a Swedish company that is a digital shark specialist called Important Looking Pirates or ILP. Ever since their groundbreaking sharks, water simulations on Rosham Ronning and Espen Sandberg's Kentucky. There's the two movies, I guess they're Swedish. Blake Lively's original bikini was a gift from fashion designer Tony Birch. Uh, uh, oh, Blake Lively apparently came up with the name of Steven Seagal. Producer Maddie Lasham noted she really made her own relationship with Sully. There's a moment in the film where she's fixing his broken wing and the bird really liked her. I would say the relationship was complex in the sense that there was a lot of love there and they really bonded, but there were obviously moments where you could see Sully really lashing out. Obviously she was trying to help him, but I think the complexity and deep emotional bond they have between them is what makes the movie great. Yeah, I, that's very cute. Now, for obvious reasons, the CGI shark was not real. Great white sharks do not generally survive well in captivity. Slash Films noted that the use of CGI was unusual for the director, as he usually prefers practical effects. We mentioned that already. The Mexican dubbing changes the beach's location to Brazil, and foreign characters speak Portuguese instead of Spanish. That's interesting. The shark had multiple personalities, although one digital shark became the main adversary to Blake Lively. The filmmakers deliberately crafted a few different shark stages. VFX supervisor Anderson explained it began with the early naturalistic shark, representing the fact that Nancy just wandered into the shark's feeding situation before becoming a more directed shark during the buoy sequence and leading into the more directed and stylized action of the flare sequence, culminating with Nancy in the water and the finale with the shark. Though it all sorry, though all footage of real sharks was used to give the sense of balance from the simplicity of a fin through the water, uh, the gills' reactions, the motion of the lips, and an overall sense of mass. This was all driven by reality, but controlled by animators following Jean's desires for each scenes. There you go. Uh, anything else interesting here? No, not really. The surfers drive a 1997 Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> cool. All right. Now, there is another tab here um, where it was like the goofs and gaffs, I think it's called, um, or bloopers. Let's see if I can find that because there were some interesting things that I that I did note while watching the film. Um, where, where, where do we go? Where do we go? Bear with me. Uh, trivia. Goofs. Here. Okay. Yeah, this is what I was saying. Uh, when the kid at the beginning of the film is watching the found GoPro footage, we see a surfer take a tumble on a wave, and that's when the shark gets him. When the events are played out during the actual film, the same surfer is in a completely different scenario when he's attacked. I did notice that. So yeah, when we watch the, at the very beginning of the film, we see him fall off the rock, 
and get eaten by the shark. In the actual movie, he's not he never gets out of the water. He reaches a hand out of the water. Blake Lively tries to pull him up on the rock, but it never happens. Anyway, the body of the drunk Mexican that collapses on the beach disappears when the two surfers return to the beach. It's never seen again for the remainder of the film. One would think that the two surfers would have discovered the partially eaten body, as would the boy kicking the soccer ball along and the boy's father. Yeah, I I totally agree. A couple of workarounds, maybe during high tide, the uh, the body got washed out to sea, potentially. Uh, maybe crabs ate the whole body. Maybe... He's like Wolverine, and he grew new legs and he walked away. Anyway, the height of the rock above the surface of the water wildly varies between shots and doesn't seem to have any relationship to the tide. (laughs) That's interesting. Um, After she said, this is my head start, she dove into the water, and for a second or two, you could see the wound slash cover slash tourniquet switch to the wrong leg. That's interesting. Potentially, they had flipped the, they'd done like a mirror image of the thing. That's crazy. The body of one of the surfers ends up on the beach to be glanced at by the father of the boy kicking the soccer ball. It was not seen by the boy during the second shot of the boy kicking the soccer ball as the boy rang along the beach and then turned to run back home. In one shot, Nancy starts to take a bite from an apple holding it right side up, but in the next shot, she's holding it sideways as she finishes the bite. (laughs) That's so pedantic. Um... After her tourniquet is applied and the leg wrap is pulled up onto her leg, you can see in the following scenes that the tourniquet that was above her leg wrap disappears and reappears several times. Well, that's just sloppy. Um, Oh, so the character has rings on her hands. The rings change hands. She also has one ring showing on her right hand, and then there are two. Also sloppy. Um, When Nancy lies down on the rock after grabbing the grope, GoPro, her wetsuit jacket covers most of her stomach. In the subsequent shot, the lower half of it is up to her belly button. Very pedantic. Um, so they have some factual errors that they made in the movie. These are interesting. When the chain breaks off the buoy, it would not tip the buoy over. The chains are to hold it in place so it doesn't float away, not keep it upright. Yeah, that's right. Those are, those are held up by air and gravity, I'm pretty sure. There are a few instances where the shark is shown backing up after striking an obstacle, something that is physically impossible for a great white shark. It would have, sorry, they would have to stop moving altogether and sink back to move backwards. Yeah. Um, a lot of sharks, including great white sharks, they um, they need to do this. Th- I can't remember what it's called. They need to do this thing where they're constantly moving so that water flows through the gills and they physically can't move backwards. So yeah, that's, that is a bit awkward. I did, actually, now that I think about it, I did notice that. And I don't remember thinking, oh, that isn't impossible. But I do remember thinking, oh, that just looks awkward. This just doesn't look real. Um, Nancy ignites a plume of whale oil coming off the dead whale with the signal flare. However, blubber has to be boiled in order to release whale oil. It isn't naturally liquid in, in a liquid state and wouldn't leak out of the whale into the water. Well, I guess that one's true, but it takes away a lot of the fun. It was a very cool moment. Anyway, um, the bay is tidal. And yet neither the whale, the helmet, the surfboard, or anything else drift from their positions. Yeah, I wondered that. When she sends off Steven Seagull on a piece of surfboard towards shore, how he wasn't just going to get drifted out into the ocean. Um, <laughs> there are a few moments... This is so, this one's really funny and really dumb. There are a few moments in the film where the shark can be heard growling or snarling. Sharks don't have vocal cords or lungs to make such sounds, so that's impossible. Sharks are known to have very fast response actions when chasing their prey. So when Nancy was pulled down by the chain, she would never have made it by tricking the shark and dodging it to hit the anchor. I also would say that like when she's trying to time the shark's speed, when it's swimming around in circles, it, the shark is capable of a massive burst of speed. So like that was totally useless. Like if it saw her, it could have just charged after her. The GoPro footage she sees clearly reveals right at the end when the owner is eaten that the camera is pretty much destroyed as the recording is cut off immediately. However, the camera and the helmet survive pretty much unscathed. There are two high tides and two low tides in 24 hours of a day. Therefore, high tide follows low tide in six hours, not 12. Yeah, that one's another one that's a bit sloppy. Shark skin is... I thought this as well. I was wondering if jellyfish actually would hurt uh, sharks. Shark skin is apparently too tough to be affected by jellyfish stings, so the shark would not have feared them as stated. As such, hiding in the middle of a jellyfish school would provide very little protection. Hmm. Interesting. I did wonder that. There you go. That, That is interesting. Okay. Nancy has to get off the rock before the tide covers it. 
Tide, tides flood and ebb at a speed represented by a sine wave. In other words, the tide turns very slowly, speeds up and slows down to a crawl again before the cycle repeats. The film counts down the submerging of the still, uh, sorry, submerging the still nicely exposed rock from full tides minus 20 minutes or so. The fact that the tide would pretty much be at its full height with 20 minutes to go. Also, even in gun ludden Mexico, hazard marking buoys would not have been would not have flare guns concealed in boxes for no apparent reason, and the buoy would be a different color since it didn't seem to be marking any channel. Well, yeah, okay. When she needed to have a flare gun, Jesus, okay. Um, the waves seem to work at the command of the surfers. One minute they are happily surfing huge waves, the next they are sitting down talking with hap- with non-existent waves. Um, Oh, and also, this is a good one. Being on the rock for that length of time, Nancy would have been badly sunburned. (laughs) Good. Uh, He's incorrectly regarded as a goof. This is interesting. So sharks generally don't take things personally. (laughs) That could be the whole, like, criticism of this movie, that sharks don't take things personally. As long as the whale carcass was still around, the great white would have left a human alone. Whale meat is everything a great white needs, fat, rich, and full of protein. It would have focused on feeding on the whale carcass and pretty much ignored Nancy, who could have made the swim back to shore unnoticed. As it is inferred by Nancy, she has trespassed into the shark's feeding ground and is no longer about food, but about territory. Uh, there is, during Nancy's video call to her sister, her real facial movements do not match her facial movements as shown on the phone screen. Uh, interesting. Oh, this is a good one. Although the film is set in Mexico, the seagulls are silver gulls endemic to Australasia. Well, that's because they filmed it there. Um, now, this is, I said this before. As all experienced surfers, as Nancy clearly is, would know, a whale carcass is almost guaranteed to attract sharks. Coming across one, a surfer would have hightailed it back to shore as fast as possible to avoid becoming part of the buffet. They would not move in for a closer look and hang about ogling it. And the other character error, when she's timing the shark's... Yeah. When she's timing the shark's course before swimming to get the camera, she says 36 seconds from the whale to the rock, ignoring the fact that the shark was only cruising. Sharks can swim to bursts of 50 feet per second. That's exactly what I said. So, that's all the trivia, all the gaps and goofs, all the plot. What do I think about the movie? Where does it rate? Well, it's only about, you know, 90 minutes long. It's a short movie. I really enjoyed this movie. It was a fun watch, especially if you're watching it with somebody else. Uh, it's not high cinema for anything. It's not also, it's not Jaws. It's not the best creature film there is. Comparing it to other Man-Eater movies we've watched in the past, like The Ghost in the Darkness um, and other Man-Eater movies I'm sure we will watch, like The Meg, it probably is going to sit very in the middle. I, I think that six six and a half out of ten is, is a pretty good score. So we're going to give this, um, I, I can never remember the rating system we use. Let's just say it's... Um, we're going to give it uh, 6 out of 10 sharks. Okay, <laughs> that's my official review. Very good. Okay, let's take a break and we'll be back with our scratch of the day. And we're back. Did you have a nice break? Did you hear some ads? If you did hear an ad, I hope you bought the thing. Uh, buy, buy the things. Be a good capitalist. Come on. Okay, guys, it is time for the scratch of the day. Scratch of the Day, of course, the segment where we look at news articles, stories about animals attacking people, and we read them. We read them live, and I've just found three really interesting ones, all from the last day or two, so these are all very, very fresh. Our first story, uh, a rhinoceros kills a zookeeper at an Austrian zoo and seriously injures her husband. I don't think we've ever had a story about a rhinoceros on the show before, so let's get into that. A rhinoceros, oh sorry, this is uh, reported by ABC News, uh, and it is, I don't have a byline. I'll tell you at the end if there's one at the end. Uh, But yeah, ABC News Australia reports. A rhinoceros has attacked a married couple working as zookeepers in Austria, killing the woman and seriously injuring the man as he attempted to save her life. The attack happened on the Hellbrunn Zoo in the western Austrian city of Salzburg on Tuesday. Zoo director Sabine Grebner told reporters that the 33-year-old woman, a German citizen, was assigned that day to put insect repellent on the rhino's body because it was very sensitive to insect bites. The 30-year-old female rhino, Jetty, attacked the the keeper, though it was not clear why. Austria's APA news agency cited Ms. Grebner as saying, 
Salzburg police said the woman succumbed to her injuries at the scene of the accident, despite attempts to resuscitate her. The other zookeeper, a 34-year-old Austrian citizen who was feeding other animals at the time, was also attacked and injured when he tried to chase the rhino away from his wife. The woman suffered severe chest trauma while her husband has a fractured leg and was taken to hospital. The names of the two zookeepers were not released in line with Austrian privacy rules. The man, a trained animal keeper, has worked at the zoo since 2008 and his wife, a certified animal keeper, since 2014. Previously, uh, she was employed in the German city of Munich, the zoo director said. Ms. Grebner said she was known to be very careful and thoughtful with the animals and she had extreme good sense while dealing with them. The exact circumstances of how the attack occurred are yet to be determined. There is a quote here. Maybe there was some kind of irritation, she said. We are deeply upset and shocked by this. All safety regulations will be re-evaluated, she said, adding that there have been no previous incidents with the rhino enclosures, which was set up nearly 30 years ago. Ms. Grebner says that Jetty weighs 1.8 tons and has been in the zoo since 2009. She said that the rhino was cooperative and had never been boisterous. Jetty took on the role of uh, sorry, Jetty took on the role of an aunt to the young animals and gave birth to a cub herself in 2015. Uh, I thought it was called a calf, if it was a rhino, not a cub. Uh, might want to check that ABC News, uh, although I could be wrong. Spal Salzburg Zoo has four rhinoceroses, three females and one bull. She said that all the rhinos responded to handling. Sorry, she said that all the rhinos respond to handling, come from outside into the rhino house where they are called by their names, and veterinarians can take their blood without anesthesia. Police are investigating the attack. The zoo will remain closed on Tuesday and Wednesday, which is today in Australia. It's very sad. That's probably going to be one we need to follow up with. Oh, this was only posted 52 minutes ago. This is very new. Um, yeah, we will. I'll put an alert on that, and uh, if anything happens in the next week, we'll follow up on that because that, yeah, it will be interesting to know what happened. That's obviously very sad and it seems like there's no one at fault. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just sad when this happens. So, uh, yeah, we'll keep an ear out for that one, uh, because it was only reported by ABC 52 minutes ago. So it must be recent. Um, yeah, oh, there's another quote here. The animals are very cooperative and have been at Salzburg Zoo for a very long time, Miss Grebner said. Yeah, obviously everyone at that zoo would be having a really tough day today. Um, so yeah, thoughts, and wishes are with them. Okay, let's move on. This is a very gruesome story. The headline reads, Veteran has his jaw ripped off by grizzly bear as he tried to stop it with his bare hands. This is from the New York Post, written by Emily Crane. A Navy veteran had his jaw ripped off by a grizzly bear while trying to take on the 10-foot animal with his bare hands after being ambushed in Montana, his family said. Rudy Norlander, 61 years old, remains in critical but stable condition in a hospital after he was attacked by the huge bear inside the Costa Galician National Forest just outside Big Sky last Friday. The grizzly left a large scratch down his right chest, bit his arms and legs, his daughter Kay Lynn said. Uh, so Kate, Kate Lynn Norlander wrote on a GoFundMe page for the bravest and strongest man I know. And to top it all off, the bear gave him what Rudy describes as the most disgusting French kiss of his life before biting down and tearing off his lower jaw. The terrifying encounter unfolded as Norlander, who runs an ATV rental company, was helping some of his clients track down a deer they had recently shot. He had first laid eyes on a smaller bear and immediately took out his rifle to scare it off, but was quickly ambushed by the 10-foot rifle, 10-foot uh, grizzly, sorry, uh, his daughter said. Oh God, these photos are horror. Oh God. These, oh, these photos are fucked. Uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Rudy aimed his gun at the bear, but his firearm misfired, making his best choice of self-defense his fists as he did not have any time to go get bear spray from his backpack. As the bear lunged, the only thing Rudy could do was punch the bear in the hopes of slowing it down. Unfortunately, it did not, and after the first punch, the grizzly was on top of Rudy. The hunters he was with managed to scare the bears off and quickly called for a helicopter rescue. Since the threat of bears still loomed, the first helicopter responded that responded needed to wait for another helicopter to come to potentially scare away any remaining bears. An amazing feat of strength, oh sorry, uh, Caitlin said, adding that her father was laying fully conscious on the ground for two hours, which is an amazing feat of strength that he did not pass out from fear, pain or blood loss, she added. After initially undergoing surgery at the Bozeman uh, 
at Deaconess Hospital in Montana, Norlander was flown to the University of Utah for further, for further treatment. The U.S. Forest Service quickly closed off portions of the park to track down the grizzly. It wasn't immediately clear if the animal has been found. Shit. Yeah, that's a lot. That's um, that's pretty intense. Poor guy. I don't even know if he can... I mean, I guess you can do a facial reconstruction. You can add a jaw in. The jaw can be made out of plastic or something. That's just... Oh, God. And he was awake for the whole thing. Oh, God. That, terrifying. Awful. Awful. Again, no one's at fault, really. I don't think anyone's at fault. I mean, they were hunting, but I think they were hunting where they were supposed to be hunting. Yeah, bad. Jesus. Okay, final story. And this kind of relates to our uh, episodes from the previous weeks about snake bites. Um, This is again from ABC News. This is posted on Sunday. Uh, Queensland ambulance confirms the death of a man from a snake bite. Oh, it's a video. Well, we'll watch it and hopefully we can listen to it on the podcast and won't get taken down. Hold on. Let me... Maybe she can report for you. Can I not? Okay, I got it. Hold on. All right, here we go. Listen to this. The reports are that he was with a friend. Um, They were actually at a 100-year celebration for the school and the snake was around his friend's leg and he was helping remove that snake. It is really hard to say with any certainty what type of snake it is or snake it was and it's very hard for us to actually identify snakes. From the symptoms that the patient had and the cardiac collapse and it would be more than likely a brown snake but again that is just a guess okay so the guy was uh, at a hundred year anniversary party for the school in their community uh and yeah was bitten by a brown snake potentially after it would wrap around his friend's leg and he tried to help get it off there you go there's no article for that it's just a video um but yeah that's uh Really sad. Yeah, I mean, we, we literally just went for two weeks over snake bites in Australia and and, um, and America. Uh, and yeah, like there are a lot of them. And unfortunately, that person has just now joined that list. I wonder if it's on the, the list now. Let me just do a quick Google. Uh, list of fatal snake attack. Oops. Hold on. Snake bites in Australia. Uh, why is it not coming up? Where's the list gone? Oh, it's a new... Hold on. There we go. All right. Um, I wonder if he's been added in. So this would be 2023. Uh, yes. Yeah. I think this is it. The 9th of September. Suspected Eastern brown snake, a man named Donnie Morrison, 69 years old. Uh, this is from Kumala in Queensland. Uh, Kumala is a regional town and coastal locality in the McKay region of Queensland in Australia. Um, it has a population of 831 people. Um now it's 830 not to get dark but yes very inappropriate i'm sorry uh you know what guys that is going to do our episode today we don't have a beastly biography uh but i do have a i I just saw an email from a viewer uh, or a listener i should say with a with a request so we will do that next week on the orinoco crocodile jules you're gonna hear about the orinoco crocodile okay that is it for today thank you so much for listening to this edition of man in a movies i hope you enjoyed it if you do want to go watch um uh, what was it? The, the Shallows. I'm pretty sure it was on Netflix. Uh, although, wait, was it Netflix or is Disney Plus? I think it was Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. Go watch it there. Um, have a great day, everyone. Take it easy. Stay safe out there because as we've learned, it's a jungle out there.